<sighs> spam. 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 Ooh. Interesting mail. We're going to talk about it. Only here on Locked On Yanders. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. Happy Monday. My name is Brandon Olson. Find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find my written work with Whole Nine Sports as W-H-O-L-E-N-I-N-E Sports and GiantsCountryVestSide.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Check out Bet Online. It's where the game starts. And I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, wonderful. Uh, then you might have seen that yesterday. I tweeted out, I was like, hey, going to do a mailbag for the Monday episode. Let me know if you got any questions. DM me, reply here, do whatever. I uh, got, got a few questions sent in, and uh, three, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, three questions, and each one is going to be a segment today. So we're, we're spending time on the mailbag here. Uh, first up is Josh Garner, big homie, Josh, uh, Chef Garner on Twitter, and he's awesome. Uh, he said, over-under has us six and a half wins for this year. You had us in the episode a couple weeks back at seven, if I remember correctly, which, yeah. Uh, he said, what does Billy and the staff need to do to crank that up to eight or nine for the year? And here's the thing. Um, yes, like I said, like I have it at seven, maybe eight uh, this year. Over-under with Bet Online has us at six and a half. And I think... I don't think there are many things that the Gators or Billy Napier and the coaching staff can do at this point to really, I guess, improve uh, those odds or improve that win total outside of just speeding up the development of current guys. Uh, You know, getting Ricky Pearsall up to speed immediately, as quick as he can. Uh, Getting the, the new incoming freshmen that were not here for spring ball, guys like like Shamar James uh, primarily, I guess, could be the person to talk about here, where it's like getting him ready for early season action, get, getting everybody up to speed and, and figuring out, you know, really what you have. Because we could look at spring ball and we could look at the spring game and we could say, yeah, it's a little messy, but they've only been here for a few months. And now it's been a couple of months since then. And we have, I mean, there hasn't really been practice or anything. So it's not like the team has improved much outside of maybe getting to know the playbook a little more and just getting to know each other a little more. Um, so there's not much to do at that point, but when getting ready for the season, speeding up the process is a big thing that you can do. Uh, I think if Coach Napier and the staff can add a starter through the transfer portal on either the defensive line, whether it be at the interior defensive line spot, primarily that nose tackle spot, or maybe an edge rusher, but I don't think that'll happen. I'm fairly comfortable with Brent Cox Jr. as edge one and probably Prince Liam and Mialine at edge two, which is cool with me or chief borders also fine with me. Um, Maybe at tight end adding somebody, but you know, Dante Sanders has been, 
looking promising reportedly uh can zipper someone who we, we kind of know what he can do in a part-time role it's interesting to see what he can do in a full-time role but again i don't see either of those happening at this point right now um as far as you know actually hitting the eight or nine win total i think it's the start of the year that's going to decide that um I think, you know, when you look at the Utah game, Florida right now, I believe, is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. It's a very close game. I'd imagine the Kentucky game, based on last season and based on the hype that Will Levis is getting and Cavassier smoke, um, I think those are going to be close. I think the spread, at least, will be close for those again. So with Florida, if you could win those two games, you start off 2-0. Those are, those are big selling points here where you go, if you win those two games— and then you win the games that you're supposed to win and you lose the games you're supposed to lose. I think you get to eight or nine wins. And I, I by, by lose the games you're supposed to lose, I mean, you know, maybe LSU, Georgia, Texas A&M are probably the three biggest games where Florida is not going to be favored. I, th- I feel like Florida won't be favored against Kentucky. Um, but even that, again, that's, that, that's the hype around Will Levis more than anything else. Uh, but I think if you win those first two games and then you just kind of, uh, I guess, proceed as expected, I think you get to eight, maybe nine wins. So I, I think that's what you do. And personally, I think m- maybe the best way to get to that eight or nine win mark, I think is for Billy Napier, Rob Sale, Kiri Colbert, everybody on the offensive staff to kind of get together and go, uh, we're just going to live and die by Anthony Richardson at this point. Like, we're going to just say, let him air it out. Uh, we know that the offense is going to be catered to him. We know that Billy Napier has shown throughout his career that he is willing to adjust an offense to fit what a quarterback can do. We saw it with Louisiana and Levi Lewis. We, we saw the offense kind of change to fit his style. I think we'll see that with Anthony Richardson, which means more deep passes, which means more quarterback runs, um, or at least the opportunity to and the freedom to where we saw it last year kind of with Emory Jones, where there were certain points, uh, specifically like like the bowl game, um, where it was, you know, you got like two seconds. And if it's not there, go. I think we're going to see a similar approach with Anthony Richardson this year of, you know, you know, take what you can. And try to see if there's something, but the second you feel pressure, you've got to get moving. And I think that's an important thing. Uh, but I, I think you should kind of just go into the season and say, we are going to let Anthony Richardson dictate the flow of our season by going, we're going to let Anthony Richardson air it out, run the ball, whatever it is. He's going to be the offense. He's the focal point. He's, I mean, I don't want to say he he's on the same level as Tim Tebow, but essentially go, the offense is built around Tim Tebow. This offense is going to be built around Anthony Richardson. You will live by Anthony Richardson. You will die by Anthony Richardson, but you're going to do it by Anthony Richardson. It's a high risk, high reward move. It's what I would do. Um, and I think right now when you're in the first year at Florida and you know there's kind of not high expectations on you to begin with, I, I think this is your best opportunity to go, yeah, he's a first-year starter. Yeah, he's started a, one game, if I'm not off the top of my head, one game, I believe it was. And we're just going to let him ride and just see what happens with it. And I think that's what they should do. I don't know if it's what they will do, but it'll be interesting. And, and I think that those are kind of, there's a few ways for Florida to get to the 8-9 to nine win mark. I don't think you can really add to the team at this point a guy that's going to do it. Again, I think if you do, it's got to be interior defensive line or tight end. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't think that either of those are going to happen. So I, I think you kind of got the roster that you have now. And, and, and again, you win Utah, you win Kentucky, and then you just knew what you're supposed to do. And, and you're looking at eight to nine wins at that point. We're about to take a look at another uh, Q&A about the offense and the defense. But first, a quick from Bet Online because the Stanley Cup finals are here. The Colorado Avalanche and the, I mean, shooting for three-peating Tampa Bay Lightning. I know a lot of you that listen, if you like hockey, you're probably rooting for Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm not. I, I prefer the Rangers and... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think most of you know what happened with that one. But betonline.net is where you can make your money the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. I've been using BetOnline for years now. Y'all know that. It's been like five years, and I love it. It's got the hockey, which I don't watch unless it's playoffs. I'm not going to pretend. But hockey, baseball, basketball, NBA finals are going and ending this week. It's going to be a wild time in the sports betting world and it's fantastic you could bet on everything head to the website today or use your mobile device mobile device to learn all about the trends and action check out bet online it's where the game starts the ultimate nba mock draft starts june 16th that's just a couple of days away with over 50 insiders nothing equals the ultimate nba mock draft the locked on nba big board draft experts plus the odyssey insiders First pick is June 16th. Search Ultimate NBA Mock Draft now and follow the stream so you won't miss a pick. Now, this next question, most of you know at this point. Um, If it's a DM, I don't say the name. If it's a public tweet, then I do. Uh, DMs for this one and the next one. This one was, what is the weakest spot? It wasn't even a question. It literally just says, weakest spot on offense and defense. Uh, That's it. And I don't know if they meant... You know, like like the weakest spot on the team combined, which I don't think they did. I think they meant one on offense, one on defense. And uh, I still don't know if they meant positionally, as in like like what's the weakest position or just what's the weakness. I took it as just, just what's the Achilles heel, basically. Uh, for the offense, I think it's the uncertainties. Because right now, every time we talk about Florida – we're kind of banking on a lot of unknowns for Florida's immediate success. We're looking at a lot of unknowns where it's not just like, oh, we're projecting this. It's we have a lot of things that we have no idea about where we go, Anthony Richardson, we've seen what he can do uh, in a very small sample size. You know, Ian Cummings from uh, Pro Football Network was here last week or two weeks ago and we were talking about Anthony Richardson and it's like there's a lot of tools but we we haven't seen a ton of him we haven't seen a ton of film there's not a ton of film on him so Anthony Richardson is the biggest projection obviously where people are either saying you know in my in my comments alone we've got he's not a quarterback and we've got he's a Heisman candidate so so it's just so torn because it's all projection with Anthony Richardson it's just uncertainty looking at the running back room we kind of know who we have in here, but we're not sure how they're going to perform. We know that we have Damian Pierce gone. We know that we have Malik Davis gone. Naquan Wright probably stepping up into a uh, more involved role. Probably Lorenzo Lingard. Probably Montreal Johnson. Uh, it's just there, there's so many guys. Probably Demarcus Bowman. Where we talk about all these players and we're like, oh, they're they're going to play a bigger role. But the fact of the matter is, 
only so many guys can pick up a bigger role in the offense. Um, so it's the uncertainty of who's going to get the starting spot, who's going to perform in what situation, who's how are they going to perform is a question mark. Tight ends, Keon Zipper stepping into a starting role. Dante Xanders flipping over from edge rusher. Now Akita flipping over from edge rusher. There, there's just so much going on where tight ends, massive question mark. The offensive line improving, which that's something that we've been projecting for years. Uh, hasn't happened. We had the, the 2020 season where we were like, okay, um, they're not good run blocking. But... They do an exceptional job pass protecting. Um, last year it was, well, they're not good at anything. And this year it's, we changed some things around. We brought in Osiris Torrens. He's, he's a superstar player at the Sun Belt. Could he translate to the SEC? We don't know. We hope so. There, there's guys stepping up and there's guys improving. And Rob Sales here. And Rob Sales, fantastic. And Billy Napier loves the offensive line. So much of it is just projecting right now. Uh, and that's a bit worrisome for me, at least, to go, if it doesn't work out. I, I did a, a, a hit on Utah radio a few weeks ago, talking about Florida and Utah. And that's the thing where they were like, you know, you keep talking about a lot of things where it's like, well, we think this is going to happen. Um, what if it doesn't? And that's something I don't want to answer because if, if these projections don't work out the way that we are anticipating, I'm going to be another long year in Gainesville. So that, that's, I think, the biggest weak spot on the offense, the Achilles heel there. And defensively, I think the Achilles heel is, is the depth. Um, where it's, it's, it's different from uncertainties because with Florida's offense, we have a lot of new starters. It, it just in the running back room, that rotation is going to be brand new. Anthony Richardson brand new tight ends, brand new offensive line, brand new unit when you combine them and just a completely different scheme. And it's just projection at that point. The only thing staying the same or mostly the same is the wide receiver room. I think the receiver room got better. I love Jacob Copeland last year, but he clearly wasn't a good fit with us. It didn't, he wasn't productive with us. So I don't care. Um, Rick Wells, I love him, but he wasn't great. So adding or keeping shorter on the outside and actually playing him Xavier Henderson, Trent Whitmore, adding Ricky Pearsall, Marcus Burke, Dejon Reynolds, all these guys, Jaquavian Frazier, Jamarcus West, and everybody. It, it's relatively the same wide receiver room, and it's a receiver room I'm, I'm pretty happy with, honestly. But defensively, it's the depth that worries me. We list all those receivers as guys that could be great. Um, could not be also, but, you know, that's what, <laughs> that's what we're doing. But uh, when we look at defense, it, it's the depth that worries me. We've got... At corner, I'm fine with the depth. The corner, I love it. Safety, I like it. Um, they are there are question marks for like Kamari Wilson. As much as we love him, he he's a true freshman. We've got Dante McMillan, who I am very confident in, and I do like him. We've got ah, it's just there's just so much projection again in the safety depth. And then you look at linebacker depth, and we kind of know what we have. We have a bunch of specialists, a bunch of guys where it's like. Well, he's a liability in coverage. Well, he might be a liability against a run. And that that's kind of what we have. But depth-wise, there's nobody really... Again, we've got a bunch of one-trick ponies, I guess, could be a way to put it. Although that sounds kind of insulting. It's not implied to be. Uh, we've got a bunch of specialists, like I like to call them. And then Edge, you've got Brenton Cox Jr. Depth behind him is a bunch of guys who have not been full-time Edge players. Interior defensive line, you've got Javon Dexter. 
And that's fine. And I'm even comfortable saying Chris McLellan behind him is fine. But the depth there, not great. That's one injury away from starting. Who knows what's going to happen? And nose tackle, I mean, I'm not comfortable with the top of the nose tackle chart, let alone the bottom of it. Um, so so I, I think defensively, the biggest question mark is the depth. Um, and you can look at all the projection and all the uncertainties that I've talked about as a positive and say, well, they could all be great and Florida could be a fantastic team. But if you're going to take that approach, you have to also accept that the opposite could happen and everything goes up in flames. It'll likely fall somewhere in the middle. But it's scary to a point. Um, and it's interesting. It's exciting. I'll, I'll say that at the very least. And then we've got one more question about Florida Gators transfers. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. To wrap up today's show, we got a little question. It's a DM again, so I'm not going to say the name. But it says, which Gator transfers do I wish I could have stopped? Um, which is kind of vague wording. And I don't really know if this is a... Uh, who do I wish I could have kept from transferring away or who do I wish I could have kept from transferring in, in which case I will answer both because my answer for the second one is there is not a single transfer um, for as long as I've been a Gators fan. There's not a single transfer um, that I kind of look at and I go, I would have stopped that because even if, you know, the player didn't work out or even if it just went up in flames completely and it was horrible. Um, I can't think of a player that I joined that, or that joined the Florida Gators and I wish they hadn't because that's revisionist history. When I, cause I'm thinking of it like, yeah, there were some guys that didn't work out, but at the same time, it's like when they came in, I'm sure I was excited for it. Uh, and, and so that's why I'm like, well, I'm not going to hate on any transfer after the fact because it didn't work out. Uh, that's just not what I'm going to do. That's very revisionist. I don't want to do that. So there's that. Uh, looking at the flip side of it, for who do I wish I could have kept from transferring out, there were three players. And I didn't even like, I didn't look up like who transferred out from Florida. Um, that wasn't something I did because like Chris Bolt was a player that now that I'm thinking about it, like Chris Bolt, I didn't want to leave. Uh, Jacob Copeland, I like, just didn't work out, whatever, is what it is. I get it. A lot of Gators fans are very soured on him, understandably. I'm not saying he's without fault, but, you know, he, he's a player where I, I was watching him, and I was like, he's got talent. He's got he's got to worry about the hands. But, man, Odell had, had drops that were easy drops at times. Everybody has drops. I'm not saying Jacob Copeland is Odell, but, you know, players drop balls. It is what it is. Um, but, the, but there were three players that immediately came to my mind, and all three of them are quarterbacks uh, from the 2010s, which is like, yeah, that, that's how it is. Uh, first up, I, I, I'm going Felipe Franks. Um, I'm pretty open about me being a big Felipe Franks fan. Y'all know how I feel about the home crowd shushing a quarterback um, or their own quarterback. Uh, so Felipe Franks, do like him shushing the crowd. Because again, yeah, home crowd booing their own players. I hate. I think I just said home crowd shushing. Home crowd booing their own quarterback. I hate. So Felipe running up to the crowd shh, after running in a touchdown. I love it. Uh, I have no problem saying that that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, he went to Arkansas, of course. 
when he was at the senior bowl uh, in 2021 and we saw him, I remember like I went up to him and I was talking to him for a little bit and I was just like, man, when you shushed the Gainesville crowd, that was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Um, because it just was, it, it was just one of those things where it's like, I hate that he did that, but I love that he did it. It, it was kind of like the turning point. It was, it was Felipe Franks' heel turn where it's like, Ooh, that was good. Um, next up, Will Greer. Uh, I was a massive fan of Greer's and for that whole stupid situation that caused him to transfer, it, it was just, it, it was the stupidest thing that could have happened. It, it stunk that, that it happened the way that it did. Um, I will say that for me, that that was around the time I was getting into covering the NFL draft. And, and Will Greer's year was the first year that I did cover the NFL draft. And I stuck with the Big 12. So, of course, Will Greer, who then transferred to West Virginia, I got to cover him, uh, which was awesome because it was really cool to see him have success and kind of and kind of push for Heisman for a bit with guys like David Sills the fifth and Gary Jennings and Trevon Wesco. Um so yeah, that that was awesome, and I'm glad that I still got to cover him, but I wish he was a Gator. Uh, and then the last one is Jeff Driscoll, which his situation's a little bit different because, you know, he had one year of eligibility left, uh, and he transferred to Louisiana Tech. And by the way, he had like this insane season at Louisiana Tech where he had, I think, for, through his years at Florida, he had something like 3,500 passing yards total. Um and then he goes to La Tech, and he has four thousand in a season, and and it was ridiculous. And it's not only just like that he left and had a great year. What really made me be like I love Jeff Driscoll was his last year in Gainesville. Second to last year, he got hurt, only played three games. His last year in Gainesville, he played nine, um, but he got benched for Treon Harris, and that situation was stupid and rough. But Jeff Driscoll handled it, handled it with a level of class that I don't think I've ever seen, and I don't think I ever will see again. Um, just watching him on the sideline, coaching up Treon Harris when he was injured was just it was, it was just so dope. That's that's the only way I could put it. Like him being on the sideline with the guy that he got benched for, coaching him up and helping him develop um, was awesome. And, and Drew and Harris is another guy that transferred out, but that's not the point. Um, I, I don't, I don't care that much that he transferred out, but Jeff Driscoll was someone that I was a big fan of, loved him. And I love that he's still in the NFL today. That is also awesome. Uh, thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more on your Florida Gators. Now make your second listen, the Lockdown NBA Big Board Podcast. Rafael Barlow, Richard Slayman, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, the latest player rankings, and of course, big boards. For Lockdown Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find my written work with Whole Nine Sports. That is W-H-O-L-E-N-I-N-E Sports and GiantsCountryofSI.com. And I'll see you all tomorrow.